I'll tell you what you can put, because I, uh, I said to Tom I'd get this in. I don't really know where this came from. But there's a saying that Vern Gagne always had. It's better to suck a dick than take a fart in the mouth. <laughs> I don't know where it, I said it to him on Friday, and I don't know where it came from, but he was like, oh, I'll try and get that in. Vern Gagne said this, or you just made up that he said this? That is up to the listener to know whether he actually said it or whether I'm telling a porky pie. I got a feeling that the uh, porky pies are all over the place on that one. Well, I mean, how well do you know, Vern? <laughs> Not as well as you do, apparently. I'm, I'm worried how he came to give you this choice. That's that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> well, sometimes you just got to give the people what they want. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and this week we are going international, which I'll get to in just a moment. But before that, a little announcement. Our regular co-host Tom Smith will not be on the show today as he begins his paternity leave this week. Tom will be back shortly, but it means that we have a slightly adjusted lineup for the first time today. One person who is still around, however, is old man Sam Carey. And good job too, because our listeners will no doubt be on tenterhooks to see who he will be comparing with undoubted wrestling legend Adam Bob this week old man how are you well we will we'll have to see obviously with this show that we'll get into it's going to be it's going to be tough to find someone of adam bomb's caliber <laughs> but uh, the lister will be glad to hear that i haven't found anybody that will allow me to impregnate them so i won't be taking any paternity leave anytime soon <laughs> ah, lovely bit of uh, self-deprecation there old man. <laughs> Uh, and as I said earlier, we're going international on this week's show. That's because joining us as a stand-in for Tom is Matthew Roberts, who is from Newport, all the way from across the border into Wales. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yes, uh, the Welshie on the show. Why not? <laughs> now, did I get it right? I just assumed you're from Newport. I just made that assumption. Yeah, not too far from Newport. I mean, I'm from Merthyr Tidville, so not terribly far off, but uh, yeah, close enough. All those places in Wales, there's just so many. They're all clustered together. They may as well be the same place. Yeah, it's, it's kind, of, kind of a small place, Wales, to be fair. I guess, really, Matt, we need to get to know you a little bit. We need to get to understand a bit about what your origin story is, ultimately, into uh, pro wrestling. So give us a little bit of information about when and how you got into pro wrestling and perhaps what you, where your blind spots are when it comes to wrestling knowledge and, and the times of history where you, you haven't really gone back and looked at much. Okay, no worries. Well, this will be interesting now. Um, my very first... Uh, wrestling pay-per-view was what many consider to be the best uh, WWE, certainly pay-per-view of all time, which was WrestleMania 17. That was my very first pay-per-view. I think if I remember rightly, the first sort of actual wrestling I saw was, I don't know if you remember the old show, I think it was either Metal or Superstars or, or something like that. Uh, and it was showing the Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, contract signing. That that was the first ever wrestling that I was introduced to way back in 2001. And, and I was really late to the party because pretty much everybody I knew in school was obsessed with it and I just wouldn't give it a chance. And then <laughs> eventually I was at home looking through the channels, it came on and it started from there. So that, that was my you know sort of first introduction to wrestling. Uh, the Rock was probably the guy who I gravitated to right from the start. Still probably one of my favourites to this day. Um, but, but in terms of like my sort of current wrestling knowledge, I'd probably say... To probably from 2001 up until maybe the mid 2000s, pretty good. 
little bit patchy after that because it just got to the point where I sometimes felt it was a bit boring. And I will admit that I have gone back and watched some stuff in the early 90s, but I tend to struggle in anything pre-1998. So that's... Uh, sometimes it's been quite the challenge but like i'm fascinated because i've gone back and watched a load of like wcw and ecw and i can guarantee if i was watching at the time i probably would have preferred those to wwe 100 percent interesting stuff and basically for you matt what you're saying is that everything's gone downhill from the very first show you watched (laughs) Pretty much spot on, yeah. It's um, it's never been as good as it was, which you know, what, what are you gonna do? I think no matter when you got into wrestling, you will feel like that was the best period, and everything was downhill from then. I find it's weird, like when I see people who start watching wrestling now, or particularly over the last couple of years, I'm I'm baffled because I'm just thinking that was awful. What was it that made me into it? So I, I find it really strange. But then, you know, again, people probably, you know, think the same of when I started. So, nah, no one thinks that about nah, when you started. Nah, <laughs> I think that's the one non negotiable in wrestling is that 2001 is the pinnacle of everything just coming together perfectly and then slowly wilting away. One laborious Triple H match to the next. <laughs> I uh yeah, I mean I always say that and I don't know this for definite, but I always say that my first match I ever watched was Bret Hart versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania ten and it's still my best favourite match of all time. So pretty much I think that goes for everyone. Whatever you saw first is the best match ever. Uh, in your mind yeah so we are covering today nwa great american bash 1988 greensboro and i'm looking for fear or looks of concern on people's faces because there was some confusion before this because i kept getting the show wrong and i wasn't given very good direction as to what show we're watching but looks like everyone watched the same show so that's that's a good start yes Before we get there, uh, if you haven't done so yet, please make sure you give us a follow over on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We can be found there and a couple of other places at RWRPodUK. So let's start where we always start, which is with um, you guys giving us a kind of idea of your um, expectations for the show, your anticipation for what was going on. Old Old man, let's start with you. Old men. Old man, you're now two (laughs) men in one. Beautiful. So I was very intrigued by this. I'm not entirely certain I was looking forward to it, but like we've covered some older shows on this pod and I'd, I'd have said early on, we had a very good time with them and it's kind of faded the last couple that we've done. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. It is fair to say that there is one thing on the show that I wasn't expecting that becomes pretty obvious early on mm-hmm. and we'll get to that. But yeah, it was... um tentative intrigue it was kind of like how you'd approach an animal that you think may be injured or dead with the fear that it could attack you at any point <laughs> old man and his analogies are back yeah. we, missed we missed them for last month or so yeah. it's good, it's good. Uh, matt what, were you, what about yourself um i think as i said like my sort of uh, knowledge is more modern so when i first said that this is the one we're looking at i thought okay this is certainly going to be interesting and i i was surprised with the amount of names that i actually sort of recognized because again because i've watched more you know sort of recent stuff you know names like you know rick flair staying like besides from seeing video packages and you know hall of fame clips and, and the odd you know match here and there i haven't seen that much of them so to see them really back in the day, you know, sort of in their heyday was was actually quite fascinating for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. We've been finding that as we've been going through this journey all the time, finding uh, watching people in their 
peak or at least or even sort of watching you don't realize how few matches you've seen of certain people until you start doing this i think on a regular basis and you're flipping out probably like i i, I haven't i have an impression of who how good this person is but I don't know why, because I've never bloody seen any matches therein. Um, from my perspective, I m- most of my anticipation was just worried about how um, anybody else would react to this, because obviously, usually we have Tom and it was only a couple of days. Matt stepped in very, very late in the day to join us. So um, I was worried about how Tom was going to react because, you know, first of all, we know he loves the hustle, bustle and, and excitement of and pomp and kind of ceremony of the WWE presentation and this is very not the WWE presentation <laughs> yeah. um it's also very early so it's 1988 which is one of the earlier shows we've done we have done one from 1985 so that's as, as the way as long back as we've gone but that was WWE so again kind of a different thing and so I was a bit worried about that but then once I got over that and we got sorted out in terms of what the confusion was with the show because originally this was going to be Great American Bash 1986 which by the way I have now found on the WWE Network but it is not listed under Great American Bash it's just got the date of the show which is interesting so um, maybe we will revisit that in a future year so once I got over that, I was kind of like, OK, I'm actually quite looking forward to this because I have been quite a fan of going back in the last three or four years and looking back to a lot of 1980s stuff, like especially stuff from the NWA, AWA, Mid-South, all these other different promotions. And so this is a show I haven't seen. And I was kind of quite eager to see what they were, the NWA were throwing up at this time in their history. So, yeah, I was I was looking forward to it. Now, we've got we start with the show. We're going to go into the arena and there are lots of different stuff set up around the ring. Lots of equipment. There's two rings for a start. There's a a whole big platform, a scaffold, you might call it, um, over one of the rings. And uh, and there's, yeah, it just just feels very, very busy. And we have Tony Schiavone on ring announcer duties, uh, announcing who's in the matches. But, and I think this is the thing you were talking about, old man, just a second ago, no commentary. How did you find that? That took a long time to get used to. (laughs) (laughs) because i also so we'll obviously get into the first match but they didn't know who three of the people were in the first match (laughs) we then get into the second match and i knew one of the people and it was you kind of appreciate how how much you need them and this changes during the show because the crowd aren't particularly i think they're invested but they're not very loud early on in this show when they get involved, that's when I could get involved because you kind of you feed off that. But initially, it was just kind of like I was listening to Tony Schiavone announce the time limit about four times before <laughs> each match. And then I was like, oh, is that it? And like the first I actually messaged Tom separately about 20 minutes in and I was like, this is very strange. And you should be quite glad that you're not watching this because <laughs> I, I found it. I, I'll be honest, I got 23 minutes in. And I wasn't sure how I was going to get to the end because I was finding it so difficult. I got my head out of my ass and obviously made it to the end. But, yeah, it's very strange. Very su- surprising because obviously we've been to shows. Yeah. So we know what it's like to watch wrestling without commentary. But I think the mix of it, as you said, there's a lot going on. There's the scaffolding. But during one of the matches is just in the way, obviously, because they wrestle in that ring just for a little bit at least. And yeah, like it's it just looks like a local gym, really, that they're kind of doing this in. And that mixed with the no commentary, mixed with Tony Schiavone doing ring announcing duties. I was I was all over the shop for that first 20 minutes or so. 
<laughs> it was a mess. How did you find it, Matt? The very first note that I wrote down was no commentary, sad face. <laughs> Straight away, it, it really came across as like, right, okay, this is going to be hard work. And I think, like you said there, I mean, you know, when you go to a show, I mean, I suppose you've got the added bonus of if you're going to pay for a ticket to go, a lot of the time you're going to know pretty much most of the people on the card so it's not so bad when you go there live and you don't hear it but yeah you know there were so many that that i didn't recognize either and it it got to the point where i was writing down like wrestler one wrestler two (laughs) it's like i don't know who some of these are and without that you know little little commentary to help you it it was quite difficult to the point of I loved Tony Schiavone doing the the countdown of minutes and, you know, 10 minutes left, five minutes left. I mean, God, I, I'd love them if they brought that back today. That, that'd be great. But, yeah, it was uh, it was quite tough, i got to be honest. Mm, that's interesting. I, have either of you watched any Japanese wrestling? No. Yes. I, I, I find it quite hard. Like, I can't remember what it was. It was a Wrestle Kingdom show a year or two back that, you know, people were begging me to watch. And I, just, mm-hmm. I, I really struggled to get through it. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is what it kind of reminded me of, because obviously during a Japanese wrestling show, it's not so much recently because they've actually had American commentary on quite a few of them. But, you know, at one point that was, you just had the Japanese commentary. And so it was similar in that you had no context for what the hell was going on. You had at least the rhythm of the commentators to kind of make you understand what was going on. But other than that, like if you didn't know someone's name, it wasn't easy to figure out who they were unless you could go and look something up. So. This, yeah, I understand that completely. I think, though, that I quite enjoyed it. Again, it was kind of we spoke last week about the Great American, not the Great American Mass, the Bash of the Beach 1995 and the mm. fact that it was at a beach and in a different setting. And there, and that kind of saved that show because that show was fucking dreadful. But that it was at a beach was a good was a good thing here. I was kind of like, not that this was bad, but just, oh, this is something different. It's just a different feel. It feels a little bit different. It's, it's taking me out of the usual, which I really needed because I think we've seen a couple of pretty bad shows recently and I just needed that kind of something different. And, you know, one thing I will say, wrestling without commentators is far better to watch than wrestling without fans, which is what we've experienced the last 18 months or so. So, I, you know, I, I, I get it. It was a little bit uncomfortable but i was genuinely quite kind of all right this is refreshing this is a little bit different let's see let's see how this goes but yeah definitely if you're not don't know who these people are it makes it much much harder and there were a couple of occasions one match in particular where i didn't know which of the two wrestlers in a tag team was which (laughs) but other than that um i was pretty good and i got I, i guessed that who most of these people were (laughs) at one point or another but we can go through that and clear it all up as we go so no problem at all now the opening contest of the night sees Larry Zabisco and Rip Morgan against Bugsy McGraw and Tim Horner. Now, old man, you said a moment ago that you only knew one of these guys. I'm assuming that's Larry Zabisco. It is indeed. But you should remember Bugsy McGraw from uh, Slamboree 93, a Legends well, reunion. Yeah, I think I kind of blocked that in my head. Well, obviously, <laughs> um, these guys do pop up because this is obviously, God, when was that? Five years previous, but. Yeah, um, so Tim, what, what did you say his name is? Tim Horner. Oh, I had Tim Harder down. So that <laughs> that that kind of... Uh, Horny or hard, whichever one it is, yeah. clearly, <laughs> he's clearly up for it, no matter what. Yeah, this was... Um, so yeah, should I go I'll... through what happened? Sorry, I didn't I didn't give yeah. you that context. Apologies. Um, basically, there's a hot tag to Tim Horner, and then Horner pins Morgan with a crossbody. Uh, it lasts for about eight minutes. It does last about eight minutes, and it feels like eight minutes. To be honest, it's not bad. 
first of all, Larry Spiskiw does a roundhouse kick, which I thought was tremendous, but it's not it's not a Patrick Sweezy roadhouse roundhouse kick. <laughs> roadhouse roundhouse <laughs> kick. Yes, yes, <laughs> which is tough to say. <laughs> it's more like if I tried to do a roundhouse kick, because he kind of hits the man, I think, just above the kneecap. <laughs> Old Ho- Horny Horner has a fantastic mullet, and it is receding rapidly. <laughs> but he's sticking to it and Bugsy McGraw is wearing the highest trousers that they have ever seen when he first gets in the ring they then recede further towards his uh, genitalia but they're not quite as fast receding as Tim Horner's hair <laughs> I thought that as an introduction this was alright there's not a whole lot to it it's very tidy which is not necessarily something that carries on through the show it's just a very nice little tidy introduction a nice loosener for the lay fan and also for the crowd as well because the crowd are pretty into this it's hard to dislike really it's eight minutes of four guys working their little socks off roundhouse kick lovely old job let's see if uh it's hard to dislike continues when matt tells us what he thinks <laughs> um pretty much larry zabisco was, was probably the, the only guy that i recognized in that and to be honest the, the last time i saw him if anybody remembers sort of old school TNA, believe it or not, was um, his thing with Raven. So I was literally thinking, wow, this is the guy who was feuding with Raven. But anyway, um, there was a few things that, that I took away from from this. I mean, Larry Zabisco's punches for a start, some of the best punches I've seen any wrestler do in a long time. So I thought, wow, those are great. And then the headlocks in the match as well, which I don't know, there was something about it where they felt legit. like. It literally felt like whoever was putting a headlock on wanted to finish a match via a headlock. Whereas if if you're watching it today, if somebody puts a headlock on, they're just doing it to kill time to get to the next spot. So I was like, okay, this actually feels legit. And and if they won via a headlock, I wouldn't have had a problem with it because it looked, you know, quite painful. And then last thing I noticed, which for whatever reason, don't ask me why, but this really stuck out. There was a guy sat in the front row in a shirt and tie. And I just, my <laughs> for whatever reason, were drawn to it. There was this very well-dressed gentleman in the front row, and that kept drawing my eye for whatever reason. He's come straight from the office. That's what's happened. Yeah. He's come straight from the office. He's like, I've got to get my Great American Bash tour on. So, you know, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I I quite like this. I, I quite like the beginning where uh, Rip, Rip Morgan, who is from New Zealand, uh, grabs yes. a microphone and performs the hacker, which is uh, yes. a lovely start to the show. Um, and some of the fans at ringside join in, which I thought was mm. quite heartening. Um, it's good to see that there are quote unquote smarter fans, even in this era of time. And I think it's one of those things that I like to try and, a bit of myth buster about this, which is that you know, smart fans have only existed in the last 15 years. It's just not true. It's just not true. So I thought, yeah, I, th- I agree with your man and, and match. I, th- I think you basically both said exactly what I felt, which is nice, tidy match. Good way to start the show. Set a lovely baseline for what you're mm. looking for. That's what I always think of uh, an open match should do, in my view, is just set a nice baseline. Don't have too many shenanigans going on. Just have a nice, tidy straightforward match which ends straightforwardly and you can and then it means you've got however much mileage to go wherever you want for the rest of the show if you try and do too much in the first match you're already kind of undercutting the rest of the show in my view so i thought it was uh, i thought it was pretty decent there are a fair few empty seats i noticed uh, up at the top although those empty seats seem to disappear later in the show so i don't know if maybe people were just coming late or what but it was a bit strange I, from the this, office well, yeah. 
we watched uh, Saturday Night's main event, the very first one. It must have been a month or so ago. And this whole card feels like there's a lot of under. I know any wrestling show, there's a lot of undercard. But it feels like a lot of this early stuff is purely undercard. Like it's purely just like dark matches because I noticed the empty seats as well. And I thought, ah, maybe this is like they're just turning up for the last few matches, which I suppose they probably only paid about seven quid to get in. So you kind of won't mind doing it. It's not like nowadays, is it, where you're paying like in America probably 60 to 100 dollars to go and watch a terrible episode of Monday Night Raw. And to Matt's point about the headlocks, that is something I had noted a bit later on in the card. Pretty much everything on this card looks like it hurts, <laughs> but you know it doesn't. There's something where it legitimately looks like someone could die, but they don't, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were no yeah. fatalities in the making of the show. <laughs> no, for a split second, I was like, oh my God, this is going to go awful. And then I thought they wouldn't have kept that on. The network surely but you never know you do never know just to give you some context as well so this is the great american bash 1988 greensboro it's part of the great american bash 1988 tour which went for 39 shows actually 40 if you count the pay-per-view that was the great oh. american bash from this year so this is just one of 40 shows effectively that they did which was part of the great american bash tour the tour went from the 26th of june 1988 which began in orlando florida and went all the way to the 7th of August 1988 in Kansas City. We're covering, as I said, the one in Greensboro that was day 18 of the tour. And for some reason, this one has been recorded. There's no real clear, easy understanding of why they were recorded. 11 of those shows, 11 of those 39 shows featured a War Games match involving some combination of the people that are in the War Games match in the main event of this show. Yeah, so I don't know why they've specifically chosen to record this one. I mean, it's in Greensboro, which is a pretty uh, historically um, significant um, area of the country for the NWA. But I don't know whether they were recording it to release as part of a DVD, not a DVD, a VHS. It wouldn't have a DVD back then. <laughs> and also, or whether they were recording it for like highlights for a TV, one of their TV mm. shows in, the, in their weekly TV shows at the time. So I don't know why, but ultimately, just to give you a bit of context, that's what's going on here, which is strange that, as I said, they recorded. This is effectively a house show, which is why there's no commentary. This is effectively yeah. a house show, but a pretty high profile one, given that we've got war games and various other bits and pieces to come later in the show. Yeah, you'd be pretty like, you'd be pretty amped if you didn't know and you walk in and there's a massive cage above the ring and you see some scaffolding the scaffolding i find very confusing until it's actually brought into use i didn't have a clue what was going on (laughs) i was i was really like like what's going on then i was like someone's coming off that in a mick foley way and i was like nah they ain't gonna do that in 88 are they (laughs) and then you find out that foley's bump has actually been done like 10 years before so his bump don't mean anything but that doesn't happen. <laughs> I have some thoughts on the scaffold, which don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess I think also it really kind of uh, brings to life the difference between the wrestling business back then than it did even 10 years after this, where you'd never have a high profile show like this with these kinds of matches on it on a house show in 1998. Because you'd put it on a pay-per-view. You just wouldn't, Mm. you know. There would be house show matches that are really, you know, had big names on them. But they wouldn't be assigned such importance. You certainly wouldn't record them for posterity and and then be able to provide them many, many years later. Mm. It's it's just a different different kind of 
way of doing things. They debuted the War Games match the year previously, and I think this was their way of touring that match and saying, look, here we are. This is we're going to sell a bunch of tickets across the country by putting this match mm. on the shows. So interesting. Uh, next up, we get Ron Garvin and the Italian Stallion come out for their match. Ron Garvin, before the match, demands that the that it takes place in the same ring as the previous contest, as it was originally scheduled to be in the other ring. Now, this is something they obviously do and have done during these runs, is they've got two rings, because we know there's a War Games match coming up later on, and they would obviously alternate which ring they were using so that the fans got a fair shake for the deal. But in this case, they had the heel move the ring back to the original one, which I thought was quite a sensible way of limiting the amount of matches that happened in that second ring, where, as you said, yes. old man, there's a big old scaffolding mm. that is kind of obscuring the view. Yes, it was. That's exactly the note I had. I was like, I'm glad they didn't have it in the scaffolding ring because I couldn't see anything. I was, well, I could see something, obviously. That's, that's over egg in the pudding. But yeah, I was like, how am I going to watch this technical masterclass? With the Italian stallion, who does not live up to his moniker, I must say, <laughs> with, 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 with the greatest respect, I'm no Italian stallion or even Bristolian stallion, but this guy, he is not Rocky Balboa. You may not be the Bristolian stallion, old man, but if there is a pudding that needs to be egged, you will definitely over-egg <laughs> I, oh, Yes, I will. <laughs> So the match itself is literally just uh, less than a minute long and uh, effectively ends when Ronnie Garvin feigns a leg injury, um, which allows him to hit his fist, his punch on Stallion and get the pin. Interesting finishing move, this one for Ronnie Garvin. Matt, what, what was your thoughts on this very short contest? Um, well, I, I thought that the both guys were actually really over with the crowd. Like I, I did sort of take a note of that, but I thought the crowd really started to, you know, to get into it from here. And, and then I do apologize. I had a phone call <laughs> mid, <laughs> mid during the match and I quickly went to, to take the call and come back. And then I saw the finish. I was like, oh, and I don't know what I missed, but I actually thought that uh, Ronnie Garvin, I actually thought he was the baby face. And then I wrote down, isn't he the face when, when, when I saw the finish? And then I watched it back and was like, oh, right. But yeah, it was it was very basic, you know, nothing much to this. But hey, the, the crowd lapped it up. They did. And obviously, Ronnie Garvin is described as being the man with the hands of stone. That's his introduction. And he's with Gary Hart, who does a lovely old job. He, he makes a couple of appearances. Never seen Gary Hart before in my life. I've heard the name. Where does he be so massive? He is an enormous man. <laughs> So Garvin, as Matt said, I thought, apart from Gary Hart, I thought he was the face as well. And then he, when he's kind of going to throw his T-shirt into the crowd, the crowd are loving it. He doesn't throw that T-shirt. He doesn't <laughs> throw that T-shirt. And the crowd don't like him then. They're booing him. This is just a little punch. And then we're done. One thing that did strike me, no pun intended, both of them are wearing red trunks. I can't remember a time where other than WWE with black trunks because everyone wears black trunks now and that I've seen two wrestlers go with non-black trunks or tights that have been the same colour in a match. I can't remember but I don't think I ever would remember that. Quiz but... question to end them all that one. Can, <laughs> yeah. can you find the last time a match took place between two men wearing red trunks? Yeah. Well, not, not necessarily red so they can both be wearing blue but it just can be black. Mm. What about different shades of blue? Well, I suppose technically it's a different colour, so... Okay, fine. All right, because I was going to say, I'm pretty sure if Dino Bravo and Jim Duggan would have had some matches against one another, and that would have been light blue against royal blue, I guess you would call it. Yes, it is royal blue. (laughs) Yeah, that... I suppose you'd have to concentrate on summer during those matches, wouldn't you? So so it may as well be the gradients of blue. 
<laughs> covering their dicks. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. It's it's a minute long, minute and 15 seconds. I think I said it was under under a minute, but it isn't. But actually, it feels like it's less than a minute because, quite frankly, the only thing that happens in the match, first of all, before the match, Garvin demands to be announced as former world champion Ronnie Garvin. And then the rest of the matches, he pretends to throw his scarf to the crowd and then he feigns an injury. That's pretty much yeah. the match. And then it goes, then he punches him and that's it. So I, I guess that they're saying that this guy, if he punches you, you're done. You're finished. Yes. Interesting as well, though, that they're keeping to the idea that it is illegal to use a closed fist because he, he seems to feign the injury just so he can hit the punch so that the referee doesn't see it. Yeah. Yes. That's the only thing I could assume they did that reason. Otherwise, otherwise it portrays Ronnie Garvin as pretty weak that he has to like feign an injury. And yeah. then just to get his just to win the match so bit odd so after the match gary hart calls the fans a bunch of hypocrites and i didn't catch why he thought they were hypocrites though either of you catch that no No but you know what they bloody are (laughs) (laughs) can't argue with that mainly because i have no idea what i'm arguing against (laughs) oh that's it those are always the best arguments to run with so next up, match number three is a seven-minute match between Dirty Dick Murdoch yes. and Gary Royal. I was I just couldn't wait to say Dirty Dick Murdoch to you, old man. I knew you'd get excited <laughs> by it. I do love a dirty dick. <laughs> this one goes, as I say, seven minutes. There's lots of arguing during the match between uh Dick Murdoch and referee Teddy Long. Then Gary Royal, who, as I said, I've never heard of before, makes a very brief comeback after Murdoch has pretty much dominated the match. But Murdoch cuts him off pretty quickly and then hits a brain buster for the pin to win the contest. Old man, your thoughts on this one? Well, this is Teddy Long, third match in a row. He's not got to mention Teddy Long with hair. To me, we talked about this the other week. Seeing Teddy Long referee now is very odd. Thinks <laughs> he's just been smacked down general manager in my mind, I think, forever. Gary Royal, so I didn't hear his name, so I in Gary Proyal. <laughs> How would it ever be Gary Proyal? <laughs> I don't know, and I was like, Proyal? And I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll stick with it. So this is our first scaffolding match, in terms of it properly being in that ring. Gary Proyal does the most pathetic drop kicks, I think, well, <laughs> To be honest, I'm not sure convinced they're the worst on the show, but he does some terrible drop kicks and then they exchange headlocks for at least two minutes, I think. But they're kind of doing this thing where they're rolling and um, old Dirty Dick is rolling old Proyley and the referee's saying that he's grabbing his tights. Dick Murdoch looks legitimately fuming. Like, he looks legitimately fuming at the insinuation that he'd be grabbing trunks. But again, as Matt said earlier, these headlocks look like they bloody hurt. I definitely wouldn't want to be a part of them. Well, I wouldn't want to be around Dirty Dick, to be honest. But as Tinky said, Dirty Dick pretty much dominates. But old Gaz Proyal, he puts an heck of a shift selling. And there's kind of like a little theme running through this is that the selling is pretty sturdy throughout the show. We'll get into a little bit more of that. But the bit where I thought someone was going to die is the finish to this match because... It looks like Gaz is too low when Dirty Dick picks him up. His Dirty Dick is sagging a bit, so it looks like he's going to drop him straight on his head and potentially end his life, but he doesn't. And then it's over. And you know what? This is not unenjoyable stuff, but this was where the lack of commentary really hit me, I think. I think I kind of needed a little bit. When they're doing the headlocks, I kind of needed a little voice just to keep it ticking over and to keep everything going along. And this was, after this match, I was like, 
I'll be honest, I was quite tired. I was a bit like, oh, I don't know whether I've got another hour and 40 minutes of this in me. But I felt bad saying, thinking that, because it's not a bad match and it's not unenjoyable, just a bit strange. Matt, what were your thoughts? Um, I can't enjoy this one. Um, I've heard I've heard Jim Ross talk quite a bit about uh, Dick Murdoch over the years, so I, I was quite uh, I was quite looking forward to to seeing him do his thing. And I, I got to be honest, I, I was quite impressed. Like one thing that particularly struck me was the elbows that he was laying in. Again, just just the little small things throughout the match, but the elbows he was laying in. I mean, good God, I was like, okay, they look stiff. So I thought that's you know great. That that's you know that's what you wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I agree with you, old man, in, t- in terms of, of Gary Royals or Proyles drop kicks. They were absolutely awful. You, you talk about, you know, like the elbows and the headlocks looking, you know, super stiff. The drop kicks were the polar opposite of that. It, you know, yeah. it, it looked awful. It was as if he barely touched him, but, you know, whatever. He tried. Um, sort of the use of the scaffold towards the end, throwing into it, you know, the, the, the structure of it, I thought was quite, you know, quite tough as well. Um, and then I got to be honest, I did pop for the Brainbuster, which I, I was literally thinking, good God, you know, we're in what, 1988, and they still use moves like that. So <laughs> that, that did take me back a bit. I was like, wow. But it was good. I, I quite enjoyed this one. I feel like every time we kind of get excited, get surprised by something that happens in the old in the older days, we kind of need like pulps help the aged to play because oh, it feels what a tune. It feels very much like we're just being really kind of oh well done you do those yeah. two aren't you good because you know Dick Mur- yeah I mean it was Dick Murdoch's finisher so it was a big deal when he did it. I wonder going on a different tangent here. I wonder whether or not Murdoch is angry with Teddy Long because it's very well documented that dick murdoch was potentially a member of the the clan oh yes yeah um so for example bad news brown has talked about him being talked about him being part of the clan um former wwe writer alex greenfield also uh, related a story that dusty Rhodes had told him now dusty Rhodes had been his tag team partner dick murdoch's tag team partner when they were early on in their careers and apparently murdoch drove him to a clan party without telling him it was a a clan party Uh, rocky johnson also has uh made similar accusations about him being in the clan so yeah uh, a horrible racist apparently but Mm. decent little wrestler uh (laughs) By the looks of things, I don't. I don't know that the second one outweighs the first one, but I'm just. I'm, I present them to you without editorializing. Simple as yeah. that. <laughs> um, it's it's okay. It's okay as a match. Yeah, I thought. I thought it was. I again. I quite love the fact that they said something different about it. Like the the, the dynamic between Dick Murdoch mm-hmm. and Taylor Long made this just feel a little bit different. We'd had the quite fast paced, technically sound opener. We'd had the very quick victory for Ronnie Garvin then we'd add this which had the interaction between Dick Murdoch and Teddy Long all the way through which was just it made it just a very different feel to it when 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 it was happening so I thought yeah I I was happy enough nothing spectacular but uh, again another very decent little uh, match uh, in this early going and we're we're blazing through because there are lots of matches very early on quick fire um, and that continues next with Rick Steiner against Jimmy Garvin yes so, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Give him Garvin. his full name. That's right. Apologies. Um, so, yeah, Jimmy Garvin, and he's with Precious. This match goes only for a minute and 25 seconds um, and ends when someone, and I now realize it was Kevin Sullivan, I didn't mm-hmm. at the time, someone, Kevin Sullivan, comes out um, to mess with Precious. But he's seen off by Garvin, and then Garvin r- jumps back in the ring, reverses a slam by Rick Steiner into a small package, and gets the victory. Doesn't make 
Steiner, who is at this time member of the Varsity Club, particularly looked particularly good. But there we go. Uh, that's the match. Matt, your thoughts? This was, for what it was, considering how quick it was, was good. What I did like about it is how unbelievably over Jimmy Garvin was. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but but in terms of crowd pops, one of the loudest ones I ever remember, certainly over the, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, is Shawn Michaels winning the Elimination Chamber when he came back and, and won the world title. That crowd pop sticks in my mind as as one of the best ever. Hang on, the, hang on, hang on. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, a, a few years? That's nearly two decades ago now. <laughs> I still feel like I'm mid-20, you know, mid-2010s. You know, you know what I mean, right? But like that crowd pop sticks in my mind as one of the best I've ever heard. And when I heard how unbelievably crazy the crowd went for jimmy garvin and especially when uh, kevin sullivan was trying to mess with precious i was like yes. good god i was like they're really really over and you know for a match that went like 125 i mean for me the, the, this was one of the most memorable things on the show interesting oh man obviously we've talked about rick steiner on this podcast before and how incredibly popular he is it's not very popular here. They don't like him, but they're kind of middling. So he does he does a nice little heel tactic, just attacks Garvin when his back's turned, when he's he's just had a little kiss from Precious, lovely old job. And then he's uh he's trying to stifle this semi and Steiner attacks him. And then they kind of do what they do. Like like Matt said, it's not long. When Kevin Sullivan comes down, the crowd are unreal. Because I didn't notice it going on so it kind of goes on on the right side of the screen i was kind of watching imagine to be honest i was trying to figure out what's on rick steiner's singlet on the back and it's dog-faced gremlin mm. he's got that on his own thing yeah he's that's a dog-faced like, gremlin that's his name yeah, yeah that's, like, that, that, that's like me i've a bold twat on the back of a t-shirt <laughs> and just walking around with it it's hang like, on hang on have you not got that on the back of your t-shirt <laughs> well no no i've got it tattooed on my shoulders oh sorry sorry <laughs> yeah What's up with Kevin Sullivan? <laughs> so this is following on from last week's Bash at the Beach episode, isn't it, I'm assuming? Yeah. Why, why does he want these weird angles? Why is he trying to steal a woman? I don't understand. But it's worth it because Jimmy Garvin does a lovely job of consoling her. Precious, I must say to her credit, no idea who she is, acts up a little storm as well. When, uh, when Yeah, when he's consoling her. This is Teddy Long again. So we're four for four on Edward. My one grievance with this, because it's perfectly enjoyable for what it is, like Matt said, I think this is this is definitely as hot as the crowd have got for anything. Um, Steiner is about to attack Teddy Long, and then it cuts because they do have a little uh, disclaimer at the start that there may be. I can't remember what it says. WWE Network has the disclaimer that says it may be. It will be the same one they put on pretty much everything from prior to 1985 which is something like um original technical difficulties or something That's like it. This is yeah. incomplete. original production or something yeah 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 because yeah. i wanted to see steiner take teddy long apart but we didn't get to see it but overall not bad again it's not spectacular but the crowd are keeping me with them so obviously when we watched Bachelor of the Beach 95 last week, um, Kevin Sullivan was taskmaster at that time. So Greg Davis obviously got some um, big inspiration from Kevin Sullivan. And at this time, I hear on commentary that he's called the Games Master. And I was like, well, well hang on. Patrick Moore is the Games Master. What's this, yeah. what's this about? This is crazy. So, yeah, he's apparently the Games Master at this time. Uh, no, it's fine. It's a, it, This is the one match where I w- could have done with some commentary or at least 
the most important match I could have done with some commentary because, as I said, I didn't know who it was that had run down. Yeah. And partially that's because you don't really see his face very much. He kind of runs down. He's got a hood over his head. You can't really see who he is. I'm sure it would have been obvious if I'd have been following the product at the time, but I yeah. I wasn't sure. I, I guessed it was. I have written in my notes, Kevin Sullivan, question mark, but I didn't know. And I could have just done with that extra bit of context here that the commentary would have provided. Nevertheless, as you say, fans are really into it. I thought that the I thought that when Stein is the first person who's introduced, he was already getting some cheers. There were a couple of like ooh 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 in the crowd and all that stuff. But then Jimmy Garvin comes out and yeah, as you say, he's massively over, massively popular. And so I was like, well, okay, so he must be the baby face then. And I wonder if they were on some kind of trip here with Steiner getting to become a baby face because. Later on, there's some there appears to be some tension between him and the other members of the varsity club. And also, we know that, what, six months later at the Clash of the Champions five, which we watched back in February, that he is a babyface by that point. So yeah. I'm assuming they're on a kind of journey with him to turn him into a into mm. a babyface. Um, one note I do have to make, because it would be remiss, because this was definitely something that Tommy would have picked up on. Jimmy Garvin's hair is fantastic. <laughs> it is an enormous perm. Carlos like, Valderrama-esque. I yes. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I can see why Precious Bloody loves him. <laughs> it's all about the hair. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I wouldn't have known it was Kevin Sullivan had we not watched Bash at the Beach last week. I could tell because he's, got, he's still got the weird like eyebrow things going on. I can't believe you let it slide when Matt said it's all about the hair, old man. I thought you'd take very big umbrage with that. I was like, what? Well, hang on. I was well, kind of waiting for something. I've got to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, yeah, I thought we we, we got to be kind. Cause he, is, he is doing us a solid, a very short notice. But don't you worry. We, we, we've still got a ways to get through this card. I can get my fucking pigs in. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the band today. <laughs> So um, next up, we've got a tag team match, which is between the Rock and Roll Express and the Sheep Herders, obviously better known as the Bushwhackers. Uh, New Zealand seems to be the main kind of antagonists on this on this whole yeah. show, um, even though we do get some uh, Soviet Union um, flag waving later on. The New Zealand flag seems to come in for more heat, quite frankly. Um, this one goes for 14 minutes. This ends when Morton is lured outside the ring and the sheep herders throw him into the ring post. But the sheep herders take over once more on Robert Gibson. Morton then comes back into the ring from the top rope with a flying crossbody on Butch for the pin. Shavoni then announces that the time of the match is 18 minutes and 50 seconds, which is definitely not true because he'd only just said that we've just had 10 minutes in the match gone. <laughs> and he then corrects himself and says it's actually 13 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, as I say, cagematch.com or cagematch.net, I should say, have got the time listed as 14 minutes and eight seconds. So whatever the case, there seems to be some confusion over how long this yes. match actually lasted. <laughs> Matt, what was your thoughts? I got to be honest, this one I really struggled with. Um, I, I, it didn't work for me. Like, I'm so glad that you pointed out that they were the bushwhackers as well, because I spent at least five, ten minutes with this going, that's the bushwhackers, isn't it? <laughs> and I watched them do the thing. I was like, I can swear that they are the bushwhackers. So it took me ages to, to kind of click on to that. But it, it was the first time I, I, I've ever seen the Rock and Roll Express. Um, heard a lot, you know, heard a lot about them over the years, and you know, it, it was a good match. Again, it it went a bit longer. It was a bit basic, I felt. But um, if there was one thing that was quite noticeable is that the women in the crowd were solidly behind the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. Um, you know, there was there was a couple of good cross bodies in there, things like that. 
um, a lot of stuff, you know, did to do with using the flag. Um, but no, th- this one didn't work for me. I got to be honest. It was a, it felt a bit of a chore. As a wrestling match, this is pretty bloody awful. There's bots, moves, there's clumsy, pretty much all the all the way through. But as a piece of like, if you just watch it as kind of like an entertainment thing, and this is the first match where I kind of had to imagine that I was in the crowd to kind of get any enjoyment out of it, because all all the sheep herders do is basically play to the crowd. That's all they basically do. Effectively, what they did in WWE, only they're doing it as heels here rather than his faces they are incredibly unattractive thankfully they're not licking children on this one as they were at wrestlemania 7 i believe it is mm. it's not great there's also a lot of repetition they kind of hit the same spots at least two or three times when uh, tony or tone announces it is 18 minutes i actually thought to myself i was like you know what that felt like 18 minutes but i don't think it was and then when he corrects himself, I was like, yeah, that makes more sense. Because it's, I feel like this is probably eight or nine minutes of solidly packed little entertainment, but they've stretched it out too long, unfortunately. I, I quite liked it. I, I thought it was it was perfectly average. You know, the you're right, there is a quiet, there's not a high level of technical quality during this one, but no. it, the crowd stay with it all the way through. They mm. do not like these New Zealand guys, especially when Luke calls them Yankee scumbags. Um, it just gets them more annoyed than they um, already are. The fans chant USA at the urging of the Rock and Roll Express. So they stay in it from the nationalism, the nationalism angle gets them through, basically, I think. <laughs> there's a lot of interference from Rip Morgan, who is in the corner of the of the mm. sheep herders and i quite yeah i quite i quite enjoyed it it was relatively fast paced as you say a bit messy here and there but it as i said it kept the crowd's interest and i found it relatively un in inoffensive inoffensive exactly the word i was looking for yeah. yes thank you so yeah i um I, yeah, I thought it was fine. It went it went past without too much trouble. And what was interesting is that I kind of got to the end of this match, and I think I looked at the time of what how how much time had passed, and I was like, wow, we've only about thirty five minutes. We've managed to squeeze in five matches, and one of them was fourteen minutes in length. So we've yeah. we've pedaled along at some pace here for the for the first five matches. And um, unlike where we've seen it in the past, I think uh, I can't remember what show it was where I was really kind of like, this is too much. Great American Bash nineteen ninety. I think it was. Unlike that, here I thought it was okay, but mainly because also don't forget that we aren't seeing anything else because they've cut it in between yeah. all the matches. So as soon as the match ends, it kind of cuts to the next one. So I felt like it wasn't so much a reflection of the show itself and more just the way it'd been edited after the fact. Yeah, and I think also like I think because we've watched shows where it's match, 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 match. I think I kind of accepted that that was going to be the way that it is. This is one of the ones I've not had any in recent weeks where I've had to take a break because it was it was all just a bit all just a bit much and I think it was after the next match I do that I had to walk away have a shower and then come back cleaned and ready that's because it's so boiling at the moment that we've all had to have about 75 (laughs) showers every single day it's ridiculous this is also the first match on the show where we have a number of tag teams. So we have, again, much like we did a few weeks back, we noted how many famous tag teams are on the show. We've got the Sheep Herders, the Rock and Roll Express, and later on there are a number of quite 
uh, famous tag teams. What's more is I, old man from last week, took your um, alternative names for Harlem Heat to a oh, new yeah. level this week. So I couldn't get it out of my head. You <coughs> mentioned the Philadelphia Flames, um, the Washington yeah. Warmth and the Houston yeah. Humidity as, yes. as alternative <laughs> names for Harlem Heat. I have this week uh, been thinking about it and I've got the Sacramento Scorch, the Boston oh, Bay, the Green Bay Grill. <laughs> Birmingham Boil, Seattle Swelter, Miami Melt, Vancouver Vaporize, Pittsburgh Plasma, and Cincinnati Central Heating. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> now, if Greg's want to talk to me about an American expansion, then I'm sure we can do a deal for marketing on the Boston Bake, Green Bake Grill, or the Miami Melt. I'm sure they'll all be pretty yeah. good Greg's products for the American market. So, um, yeah, just give me a call. Do you think that they would feud against the Delaware dehumidifiers? Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Delaware dehumidifiers. <laughs> Where did that one come from? Yeah, or the Arkansas air conditioning. <laughs> I tell you what, that is something we could all do with right now is air conditioning. It's so hot. And we, our houses just aren't made for this in the UK. They're just not made for heat like this. They're all yeah. massively insulated because we're so worried about the cold. Oh, it's horrible. A word to the listener, Tinky hates the sun. And all it does, <laughs> and all it gives us, he don't care. I just named a bunch of tag teams after it. Come on, mate. I don't <laughs> that much. Um, next up is a match between Brad Armstrong and Seth Rollins. No, no, not Seth Rollins. Sorry, Al Perez. <laughs> I should uh, should correct myself. Um, this one goes for eleven, just over eleven minutes, um, and ends when Armstrong suplexes Perez into the ring, but Hart grabs Armstrong's leg, allowing Perez to come down on top of Armstrong and get the pin, similar to the Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude ending at WrestleMania five. Uh, oh man, your thoughts. This is technically, I think, the best match on the card so far. They both seem very handy. I'd written Brian Armstrong, which I, and then at the end of the match, I was like, that's not the road dog. No. So Brian <laughs> Armstrong is the road dog, but yes, that's not. The yeah. one in the match is not Brian. Yeah. It's not the road dog. And Ayose Perez? <laughs> Al Perez. Not the yeah. Newcastle striker, no. Al Perez. Uh, with Brat Hart? <laughs> that's very confusing no this is um it's a very very slow paced start to this but it does kind of build up a little bit i love the finish absolutely loved the little screwy finish because i think we needed something and well i did anyway i think i needed something that wasn't just a clean victory i didn't, didn't want a dq or anything like that but i also wanted gary hart to get involved and it's also i think importantly Gary Hart is massive. Bob Armstrong is a strong lad. And it's conceivable that Gary Hart could hold his foot down. Just a very minor little thing. But I was like, you know what? I can get on board with that. I thought this was good enough that, as I said, I had to have a shower afterwards to call off. But I enjoyed this. And I felt like there was going to probably be a turn on the show of where it would go in terms of wrestling. Because I had seen on the network, you obviously get the blurb. So I knew there was a War Games match to come. Didn't know anything else that was coming on the show. But this felt like it was probably a little bit of a turning point for the show. And I was, was looking forward to it. Uh, Matt? Brian Armstrong was really good in uh, in this one. Um, that's probably the one thing that sort of stuck out to me more than anything else. You know, uh, like you said, old man, it, it was very technical. Um, you know, like I've written down here, you know, like Brian Armstrong is really working the holds a lot. It, you know, a, a lot of stuff just was surrounding the wrist lock and how long he held the wrist lock on for and the different escapes for trying to get out of it. And, and you know, I, I keep coming back to the basic stuff like that for me is what really makes some of these matches quite good. 
Because because yeah. it is, it's just simple things that you know you can easily get on board with. Ooh, he's got him in a hold. He's trying to get out of it. How is he going to do it? Great stuff. Yeah. So no problem with that. Um, I, I do think that at least until the finish, the crowd were quite quiet. So I, I don't want to necessarily say that they were burned out, but it was probably time for them to take a bit of a break. Um, you know, they, they did get a bit louder for the finish, but yeah, the, the match was good. Like, de- definitely quite impressed with Brian Armstrong throughout this. The old man's completely done you over there by by mentioning Brian Armstrong because it's Brad Armstrong in the match, not Brian Armstrong. Do you know, I've written down Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so both of you thought the road dog was in this match, basically. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Both of you are convinced that that was the road dog, Jesse James. Um, it wasn't. It was his older brother, Brad Armstrong. We've seen a few of these Armstrongs. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them, basically. Yeah. We've seen we've seen Bullet Bob not in a match because he had to pull out. And we've seen yeah. Brad Armstrong replace him in that match of Slamboree 93. We saw Scott Armstrong, I believe, on a... Yeah. Uh, well, he's a referee, obviously, Scott Armstrong. Yeah. And Steve Armstrong, I think we've seen in a match as well. Strangely, I'm not sure we've seen a Road Dog Jesse James match, which is a bit weird. This is why this is why we need commentators, so we don't get the names wrong. So this is Brad. Yeah, Brad passed away right. in a weird way, considering they don't look anything alike. I get many members of Armstrong family compared. Uh, he did pass away in 2012. I was right, unfortunately. Oh, well, that, sorry, lads, I've taken the move on you. Jesus Christ, mate, flipping out. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, seeing as you've done that, this is a perfect place for us to take a little break. Um, and we'll be back in just a moment uh, after whatever I put after this point. I don't know what I'm going to put because there was no, no promos during the show. Okay, welcome back. So next up, we have Midnight Express and Jim Cornette come to the ring to lots of heat. They also have some music, which I don't know what the music is. Uh, Cornette grabs a microphone and introduces the greatest tag team in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, The US tag team champs, the Midnight Express. Stan Lane then also introduces Cornette, who is the manager of champions. And Cornette is dressed and ready for wrestling action, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Uh, Any thoughts on this bit before the next match? It's just Cornette and it being absolutely great. Like the stuff that he's wearing is phenomenal. <laughs> he's covered head to toe in garb, but he's got all of the wrestling pads on. He's got some wrestling pants on. He just he looks like the classic case of all the gear but no idea, <laughs> which is exactly what he's meant to be. It's lovely. Yeah. I didn't know he was ever that in shape, to be honest. That was a sight to see. I was like, fair play, wow, he used to be in pretty good shape. 
Yeah, we're all in better shape when we're in our mid-twenties, and I think that's probably what <laughs> kind of age he was at this point in time. The Midnight Express and Jim Cornette are indeed facing the Fantastics in a um, handicap tag team match here, which is also a bunkhouse match, which yes. doesn't really feature, unfortunately, the, the, the bunkhouse stipulation of it very much. Anyway, the end comes when Cornette throws salt at Bobby Eaton, um, but accidentally uh, hits uh, one of his charges can't can't remember which one and then they are easy prey for being pinned after a few punches and a slam the contest itself lasts for 15 minutes oh man let's start with you this is a weird one this because is it bobby fulton and tommy rogers the fantastics the fantastics are bobby fulton and tommy rogers and this is the match where i was like i could have done with commentary because i don't know which yes. was which Yes, that was exactly what I was going to say. It's the early stages are all about Cornet getting in, but well, all about the Fantastics calling Cornet in, calling him chicken, and him not wanting to get in. And then he starts doing the old Healy stuff where he comes in for the little cheap shots. He'll hit him from behind. There's a tremendous bit that they don't really use later on in the match, which I was a bit disappointed with, where Cornette is just having a go at Stan Lane. He's just having a go at him, and then Stan Lane is threatening to punch him. And I was like, oh, this is great. Cornette's going to get in. He's going to get thrown around a bit. And it doesn't ever really happen. A bit like this has kind of happened a couple of times. It's very noticeable in this match. Is that It threatens to go to pieces the whole match just in terms of it being chaos and being bodies everywhere but every time that happens they then just quietly went back to their corners regrouped and then carried on and I was like oh can it not go to shit it kind of does towards the end which is what I was anticipating I think is that it's going to go to shit at the end and then that'll be the the big finish and the Midnight Express hit their finish which you named the other week Tinky and I can't remember what it is Bobby and I think is thrown by Stan Lane from the top rope into a splash. We'll call it the Midnight Splash. <laughs> why not? Why not? And he go, uh, Bobby Eaton goes to cover him. Beautiful Bobby. And Cornette's begging for the tag. And then obviously the finish happens. As a wrestling match, it's not anything. It's kind of out of step with much of the stuff that we watched, but very in line with the other tag match. Because as entertainment, it's tremendous. And you get everything you want. You get all of the heat is on corner at the end. And like I said, the, there's the threat of Stan Lane going against him. He's going to hit him, but he doesn't. And then at the end, they're all mates again. And you're largely, they're all shitheads together. And just enjoyed this. I enjoyed entrance music as well. I needed that little <laughs> pep. After me break, me little shower, I needed that pep. And I also was very happy to hear a proper intro and promo thing from someone other than Tony Schwinney, who does a great job during this show, but I just need to hear another voice. Mm. And I know what I'm getting with Corner. So yeah, all together, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Matt? Speaking of fantastic, full disclosure, never heard of the Fantastics before. Almost no. to the point of I was thinking, I was thinking, is this a jobber team? I mean, I assumed it was, but I was like, well. <laughs> but when I saw it was Midnight Express, Super excited again. Heard a hell of a lot about the Midnight Express, but I haven't seen that much from them. So I was really looking forward to this. And it was really different. Like, no, not in a good way, nor in a bad way. Just I, I felt this match was kind of unexpected from what I thought it would be. It, it was, you know, the whole thing was aimed at getting Jim Cornette in the ring, which for the majority of it, they obviously tried to spend the time trying to get him in. But then 
at the end, I go, Jim tags in, Jim tags out, Jim tags in, Jim tags out again. I was like, why is he back and forth? Surely the whole point was to do the entire thing, or at least in you know the perfect way of doing it would have been the entire thing, get him in at the end, then get him beaten, job done. The fact that he was in and out, in and out, like a jack-in-the-box, I was like, what's going on there? But other than that, I, I personally felt that Jim Cornette was was the man of the match, if, if we're going to award somebody the man of the match. Um, he was great. I mean, he was Jim Cornette in all his glory. Um, you know, he certainly caused, you know, a good lot of heat and everything. But, mm. yeah, it was it was definitely different from what I thought, but, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, now we have to always preface uh, our commentary on Jim Cornette stuff with, He's a bit of a dickhead. He says some mm. fucking stupid things. And um, mm. but I mean, he's really good in this match. He's just so good yeah. in this match. Is his facial expressions, his concern of getting in the ring, and to your point, Matt, I, I actually disagree a little bit with that because I think that the the constantly coming in and out is him pushing his luck because he only comes in the ring when they're down, when the baby faces are down. He comes in the ring, gets his kicks in. Then a couple of times they almost catch him and then he quickly tags out. But then he starts pushing his luck again when he feels like he's confident that they're down again. And so I actually thought that built the tension and the anticipation for when he would get his comeuppance really well. He doesn't get a huge amount of comeuppance in the end, but they do kind of get a few bits and pieces on him, which is which is cool. And yeah, I agree. I think Cornet is the best thing about this match. But saying that, this is the second time in a row for me where we've seen a Midnight Express match on this show, and they have absolutely like taken the show to the next level. Like their yes. matches are just they're just excellent. And you know they're synonymous with the Rock and Roll Express. Obviously they had a big feud with those guys, and they had a big feud with the other Midnight Express team as well that came before this version of the Midnight Express. But they, for me, stand stand out you know amongst all the tag teams that we've seen on the NWA slash WCW shows we've seen mm. so far. They just they're just excellent. They got their act down brilliantly. They did exactly the same thing as they did in the previous match we saw them in against the Southern Boys early in this match, where the match breaks down and the Midnight Express then kind of regather themselves have a little chat side you know ringside to say like what we're going to do next they also as you as you said old man they kind of layered in as well this sort of tension between bobby Eaton and uh jim Cornette, because the idea being that jim Cornette's not holding up his end of the deal there's a great moment where basically stan lane is just tagged out because he's done in bobby Eaton kind of gets like hit with a move and falls into his corner and so he's trying to tag jim Cornette, but Cornette won't tag in he's already told them he's like don't touch me don't tag me in leave me alone basically and it just creates this nice little bit of tension which doesn't last which i like it kind of dissipates by the end the idea mm. that they're not actually breaking up but it just gives you a, a kind of arc the of story that the, the match is going on so for me this was this is really good. I really enjoyed it. As I said, the Midnight Express just keep they just keep delivering yeah. as far as I'm concerned for the matches we've seen. So yeah, really good. I uh, really enjoyed it. So it's Great American Bash 1990 that we watched the Southern Boys against Midnight Express. Yeah, that is fantastic. That is as fantastic as their opponents' names on this show. It is mm-hmm. tremendous stuff, and that I think is one of those things where I think if I'd watched the matches the other way round. I think my view would have shifted enormously watching the second one. So if you do get a chance to watch the 1990 match, definitely seek it out. Well, in the last two shows we've covered, I haven't been able to put any matches from those shows on my list of recommended matches. On mm. on this 
this finally after two and a half episodes i was i'm able to put one on because uh it was getting a little bit threadbare from recent episodes hang on so did you not have kamala and jim duggan from bash of the beach 95 on there didn't didn't quite make it didn't just just a nat swing away from being good enough that oh night. yeah uh, tough in it let down by the uh the the shade of blue jim uh, jim duggan as well yes and also the match itself as yeah. well <laughs> <laughs> well that too but yeah I tell you what, I, I will I will check that one out. And if there's anything, I I had a tiny, only a small, tiny gripe with this match. Just the smallest thing. The steel chair shots that they used just were awful. Now, mm. don't get me wrong, it's not to say that I expect them to absolutely batter the hell out of somebody with the chair. But I, I just think, do you know what? If you're not gonna lay it in and make it look good, don't mm. do it. Because they just look awful, and it, it immediately takes me out of it. And so, yeah, I could have done without the chair shots. But other than that, enjoyed. There's a tremendous bit where Jim Cornette throws a chair in there. Yeah. <laughs> where, like that, I, I'm with you, Matt. We've talked a lot about chair shots, I, especially now what we know about brain injuries and yeah. that. Do not let him. But I completely understand, because it, if you are going to do it, in particular before anybody knew anything. I loved Cornet throwing it just yeah. because it's such a cowardly, shitty thing to do. And it's <laughs> kind of like, if he swings it, and uh, the guy could take it off him and he could hit him with it. So he just throws it from about 10 feet and he then runs away. Yeah. Lovely old job. There's a weird middle ground between what you got here, which is where the chairs are not kind of fully... The chair shots just look a little bit tame. And yeah. between what we get now, which is this kind of very sterile chair shot that is full force and kind of looks perfect, but looks too perfect and therefore takes away all sense that there's any danger or any kind of um, sense that this is worse than just an ordinary move that's being done on a, on a wrestler. And as I say, that middle ground is not here. It's not present on this show. It's the earlier sort of flimsy, oftentimes using the wrong end of the chair style chair shots that uh you kind of got in the early days before people perfected it and once they perfected it it got rubbish again (laughs) yeah so the next match is for the nwa world television title it lasts 10 minutes and it's between sting and the random wrestling reviews favorite wrestler mike rotunda the match ends when sting goes for the scorpion death lock but rick steiner gets in the ring causing the disqualification a flimsy end to this match Mm. i think given the dq ending after the match this is what i was saying there's dissension then between rick steiner and mike rotunda but again the camera doesn't really focus on it that's not that's part that's not really their fault i don't think because this isn't really a television presentation they're just recording it for posterity almost but yeah you kind of see it from a wide view (laughs) um as they're still in the ring and and the the camera's starting to fade out uh old man thoughts on this one this was annoying i in particular been very vocal about sting and how i do not like sting this was just getting going that this felt like it was really getting going and the crowd were getting into it and then there's the really flat dq finish like it's the first use of the double ring like proper use so Rotundo, as he is called on this show by Tony Schiavone. So again, we still don't know what his actual name no, is. No, never, it's yeah. never been decided, never been clarified. No. It's either Mike Rotundo or Rotunda, and nobody is can make up the no. mind. And he scarpers to the scaffolding ring, and then Sting does a very impressive leap over the ropes of the joined rings. Unfortunately, Sting's fucked up. I and Mike can't fucked up at the end. 
there's absolutely no chance. But Sting's just not reached how far Iron Mike is away from him. So the impact is a little less impressive. But yeah, I thought this was good because it starts. So Kevin Sullivan and old, uh, yeah, what's his name? Steiner lad. Rick Steiner. Rick, I was going to say Rob. I was like, no, that's Rob Reiner. Brian, not... Brian Armstrong, Rob Steiner. It's all going <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Rick Steiner get involved early on. Sting drop kicks everything in sight. And the referee don't care. Referee doesn't care, quite rightly, because there's no harm comes to Sting during the filming of that segment. But I kind of was hoping that was the interference done. And then, because it starts hot, the crowd get into it. And they're very, very interesting. Very interesting. He's the first guy. Is he the first guy we see come down the entrance right away on the show? Don't know. We've seen the two tag teams come out and walk to the ring. So. Ah, uh, yeah. In that case, no. But yeah, he gets a very nice reaction from the crowd. And I thought this was pretty bloody good. Uh, yeah, I was annoyed and disappointed that it ended how it ended because this is the best Sting match we've seen. And I think is the best Iron Mike match we've seen as well. Somehow beaten the classic that he had with the Iron Sheik a few weeks ago. But yeah, I this was good. And what I also liked, and this is obviously a little bit still with the crowd. So you've got the interference and the DQ happens. So there's three on one. This is obviously for Iron Mike's title. Sting doesn't win the belt, but he takes the win and then scarpers immediately. And when I was watching, I was like, well, it's a bit crap. Because you played to the crowd. And I thought, actually... You wouldn't, because he's in a bit of danger, because there's three of them, there's only one of them. Why is he going to front up and have a go at them? And I just thought, it's a nice little touch. Yeah, I enjoyed this, and then it ended, and then I was disappointed. Yeah, in, uh, case, anyone, in case anyone's confused, um, only old man, and Tom probably as well, calls Mike Rotunda Iron Mike. That wasn't his official name, so don't worry. What's it was? That's why they call him in the changing room, and that's definitely what his wife calls him in the bedroom. Matt! So, you know, I, I'm just going to call him IRS because I think that's what most people tend <laughs> to know him better as, which I, I tell you what, I mean, if ever there's an illustration, like I said earlier, where I think I would have preferred WCW back in the day, because I've always preferred this sort of more sports centric type of approach to wrestling. And particularly when looking at IRS, when you compare him in, you know, NWA, WCW here to, to when he became IRS, I was like, Surely he, mu- he must have preferred. Well, I say he must have. I did anyway. I preferred his sort of sports centric approach, but I didn't particularly like this one. I gotta be honest. I'm actually quite surprised, old man, that you you say that uh, that you're not a big fan of Sting because I haven't heard that many people say that other than me because I do agree. <laughs> I can't stand Sting. I've never liked him for for years. It just I haven't understood it. I, I was mostly familiar with him in his later TNA days, if I'm honest. And for me, his reign in TNA kind of felt like Triple H's reign of terror back in 03. So not a Sting fan, but credit where it's due. He had his working shoes on in this. I, I felt this was some actually good stuff. So fair play to him. But back in his heyday, you know, when he was surfer Sting, I felt he was quite good. You know, the the, the vaulted over the, the two rings, I thought that spot was particularly cool. Um, yeah, okay, the, the finish, let's be honest, the finish sucked. What can you do? My only other sort of gripe with the match is that for, for it was a title match, wasn't it? It definitely was mm. for the title. Mm. Is that um, it, it didn't really feel like there was no sense, I didn't feel there was a sense of urgency 
from from Sting to try and win the title. Like, you know, when when I'd see him grab a headlock or something, he just kind of like the looks on his face just seemed to be kind of going through the motions kind of thing. And I was like, well, you know, you're trying to win a title here. Where's the sense of urgency to, you know, to capture the win? And I, I didn't feel that. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's funny, this Sting thing, you know, I thought we were going to have someone on the show other than you you boys, Tom and Tom and O'Man, who would like Sting because neither of you like Sting. And no. I don't I don't love him, but I'm trying to stand up for the side for Sting because because otherwise, like no one will on this show. And I thought, oh, Matt, Matt's going to come in. He's going to love Sting. He's going to love him. He's going to be <laughs> like, oh, no, what are you talking about? Sting's amazing. And well, no, he's, he's let me down. What, I think this just shows off a little bit of Sting, perhaps when he was a bit more athletic, a bit more exciting. Mm. Certainly, if your main experience of Sting is in TNA, then you're not going to have seen Sting at his best, um, anywhere close to his best, I guess. So, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that you'd have a low opinion on him. But in the main, between us on this show, we have not changed our feelings on Sting much from the matches we've seen. As I said, Old Man and Tom have both been scathing in their review of Sting's performances so far. I, I, as I said, I'm not as down on him as, as they are, but um, I'm not exactly hugely up on him. On Mike Rotunda, so I said previously before that we have he's in a kind of class of of sort of real big titans of the business in terms of the number of matches that we have watched of his on this show so i have a tally of all of the matches we've got and who's in them so i can tell you who's been in the most matches we've covered so far and this is episode 29 of this podcast and there are five wrestlers who've had eight or more matches on this show so far and below them the most is six and Chris Jericho, Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker, and Ric Flair are four of them. The other one is Mike Rotunda. <laughs> he oh, just popping up. In fairness, he was he just got lucky. It was in the first three or four shows we watched. And now he's right up there, just ticking away lovely. Yeah, I thought the match was okay, but nothing's too special. I think what I would say though is to this point we have seen nothing that I would say is bad at all. And some and one or two matches that are above average. Uh, this was on the average level, I would suggest, but again, not bad. And uh, just the end, really, really poor end. It's one of those classic wrestling ends, pro wrestling ends, which no other type of entertainment, story-based entertainment would ever do because it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. We've already seen the Varsity Club interfere during this match and they didn't get disqualified. And in this case, when Rick Steiner gets in the ring, he doesn't actually hit Sting. He just gets in the ring. That's it. So at the same time, you're just like, it doesn't make any sense yeah. based on what we know about the context of other matches. It is entirely an end that is lazy to say we 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 can't have Sting win this title because we're we're building up something more important than the television title. And also, this is a house show, so why would we change the belt on this show? And you're like, just come up with a better end, even if you have to have the guy attack him and actually yeah. beat it down for a bit. Like at least then you can accept that there's a disqualification. It just feels like a it feels like a oh it don't matter. These are wrestling fans, they won't care. And um, let's be honest, he was never gonna be Iron Mike, so it's all pointless <laughs> anyway. <laughs> who who would? Who would, old man? Well, that's it. In fairness, Tom would beat him, but he'd probably beat him off. Would he would he prefer a fart in his mouth or <laughs> wow. well, I mean that's some I'm not gonna answer for him. But probably the fart in the mouth. You imagine <laughs> taking a fart in the mouth from IRS. Lovely old job. <laughs> it's one way of paying your taxes, I guess. <laughs> uh, we went there. <laughs> there's no there's no bounds to where we'll go on this show, yeah. unfortunately. We'll go anywhere. We'll go anywhere for a laugh. I've been chasing them for months. <laughs> 
So the penultimate match of the night sees the Road Warriors against Ivan Kurov and the Russian Assassin. This is where the scaffold finally comes into play. It is a scaffold match, although on announcing duties, Tony Schiavone calls it a Skywalker match, which is interesting. Yes. Don't know what the difference is between Skywalker and scaffold match, although I have seen a scaffold match from the early days of ECW not too long ago, and they definitely started in the ring and climbed to the top of the scaffold. So maybe that's the difference. I don't know. Anyway, as far as I'm concerned, it's a scaffold match. It goes for just five and a half minutes. So effectively what happens is Ivan Koloff is first of all eliminated, leaving the Russian assassin against both road warriors until Ivan Koloff then climbs back up the scaffold to try and help his, ta- his tag team partner. However, Hawk and Assassin fight down the scaffold and finally Hawk kicks him off the scaffold for the win. Uh, there is then in the crowd a, sh- a sign that is shown, which I think everyone will like. The road warriors equal real men. Powers of pain equal yellow-bellied wimps. <laughs> oh, thank God Tom ain't on the show this week. <laughs> My word. Yeah, so obviously someone in the crowd was uh, referencing the rip-off of the powers of yeah. pain we're doing with road warriors. Uh, Matt, your, thought on, your thoughts on this one? Uh, this one. <laughs> I, do you know what? There's no way for me to say it other than I thought that this sucked. Did not enjoy it one bit. I've never seen a scaffold match before. And to be quite frank, after seeing this one, I've no interest of ever watching one again. Like you said, if they perhaps started in the ring, I felt that would have improved it massively. But to have them straight up there, it was just a couple of, you know, a couple of kicks, a couple of punches. You know, and again, don't get me wrong, I suppose, particularly at the time, they're not going to have them do massively crazy bumps to come off the scaffold. But I've seen suplexes in the ring, which look more intense than how they fell off the scaffold. It it just didn't look good. Yeah, uh, honestly, I just I could not get on with this at all. So you enjoyed this one then, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) It was so bad. It just, oh, no. This is just a bonkers concept. Like, <laughs> I just don't... Like, Russian Assassin climbs up that scaffolding like I would, because I'm quite scared of heights. And it's weird. I The crowd are absolutely red hot for this. And to be honest, when it started, I kind of was, because I had no idea how it was going to work. And um, Kolov and Hawk, uh, Animal have a little bit of a scrap. They have a little bit of a scrap. Hawk and Russian Assassin are effectively on their knees punching each other for probably about three minutes of the match. And I can't blame them because I would have been doing exactly that. The one high point of the match is when after Kolov is eliminated, it's two on one. Hawking Animal against Russian Assassin. Uh, they've got this. Animal is there geeing up the crowd. The crowd are going nuts, but they're not going nuts for him. They're going nuts because Kolov is climbing back up. And that was tremendous. Just a great little 25, 30 seconds. That I was like, oh, this is really good. The Road Warriors were never going to lose. There's absolutely no way that they are taking a loss. Not 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 to these lads necessarily, but in this manner. The main problem with it, and I think this may be why Matt struggled with it, and it's kind of why I, as much as I didn't mind it, I kind of struggled with it, is the way that they're eliminated. Because it's the only sensible way they can be eliminated. Why would you start climbing down? That's the main thing. It's like, well, I don't really... Like, Kolov kind of makes it work a little because it's like he's trying to get out get out animals way because they're out of a bit of a scrap and then animals like oh hang on i can get down and get him like kick him off here but it doesn't really make any sense but i don't really know how else you could end it 
without someone taking an absolutely horrendous, possibly life-ruining or ending bump. Mm. But it's all right. The crowd make it. If this was Ivan Kolov and the Russian assassins against the bloody Dream Boys or whatever they were called from earlier, the Fantastics. <laughs> Dream um, Boys. <laughs> yeah, the um, the crowd wouldn't have been as into it and it wouldn't have made any sense. Sorry, it would have made it less sense, it been far less entertaining. And it also does now stay its welcome. It's five minutes and it has to be five minutes. I think if it had even been seven minutes, I think it would have been a real slog to get through. And then when they beat up Paul Jones, who is Ivan Kolov, a Russian assassin's manager at the end, my God, the crowd, like the place must become unglued. They're going absolutely nuts. Don't know who Paul Jones is, but the crowd really want to see him beaten up. Yeah, I think we've seen Paul Jones before. I seem to remember having a memory of you saying exactly the same thing as I don't know who Paul yeah. Jones is. And to be honest, I can't really answer that because there's no reference point at which you'll have to, for me to tell you who he is. He's just a guy who's been around for a very long time. He'd been, I think he'd been wrestling in the 60s, wrestled at Mid- Mid-Atlantic for a very long time, which obviously is the company that this Jim Crockett Promotions was. It's the same company um, before they were eventually bought by Ted Turner. And um, yeah, uh, I, I've seen a couple of his matches. They weren't very impressive. And now he's a manager. So all good stuff. Um, and of course, the Road Warriors have Paul Paul Ellering with them as well. I think. Yes, with, his, with hair. With hair, indeed. With <laughs> a hair. lot of it as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And he's got a, he's actually got a physique as well. Like he's not yes. just a manager. He's got a physique, which will come into play in just a moment. It's a really silly concept, as you say, old man. I think the point is here, this is, again, classic carny wrestling in that basically we're going to set up the concept of a scaffold match and it's going to sound kind of like oh that sounds good i'm going to buy a ticket and then when you see it it's like this shit <laughs> it's fucking rubbish yeah um and it is it's rubbish i don't think they did any until ecw started doing them i don't think they did any scaffold matches where someone actually fell off the scaffold like they just had them dangling down at one point i seem to remember jim Cornette doing it at one point like being the person who fell off the scaffold but again from from hanging off of the scaffold down to the ring but as i said in ecw they actually had people fall off the scaffold as you as you imagine they would do so yeah it's it's just silly and it can't possibly deliver on the promise and then of course on top of that they're on top of the scaffold this ladder that effectively goes across the ring um maybe two ladders that have been covered with wooden boards and they just can't do anything because if they move if they if they misstep they will go off the edge and it will be horrible it will be horrific so they kind of there's a bit at the start where Ivan Koloff and the Russian assassin get to the top of the platform and then Ivan Koloff is kind of holding on to the Russian assassin from behind. And yes. I guess they probably got away with it because it looks like he's hiding from the road warriors. The truth is he's hiding from the damn drop that's beneath them and he doesn't yes. want to even go anywhere near it. So yeah, it just, they're tentative. They barely do anything and it's all a bit of a waste of time, but last five minutes. So thankfully it doesn't stink up the place. It's just there and then it's gone away and we can all forget about it pretty quickly. I'll tell you what I did notice. What was started. So we covered Slambury 1993. Blimey, must have been back in May or June. And uh, how much Kolov had aged in that time. <laughs> he's like a, he's aged like a wrestler should age when they put their body through what they have. And a lot of these older lads, as we've seen in the Legends Reunion show 93, yeah, they had hard old life, these lads. Yeah, they didn't they didn't have Nivea, did they, to make themselves stay young? They yeah, didn't. That's what it is. No. Uh, Nivea, that would be a bit of coin. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nivea wasn't around in 1988. <laughs> 
not with the wrestlers they weren't using it anyway uh, <laughs> the concept of male kind of moisturizing one one of thing yeah. back in 1988 yeah that's then we come to our main event it's a war games match it features i wasn't sure who they were when they first yeah. entered the ring because they don't get announced before the match i did guess everybody right but i did have to guess on a couple of occasions so we've got dusty Rhodes, lex luger nikita kola paul ellering and steve williams against the four horsemen team of iron anderson barry windham jj dylan rick flair and tully blanchard specifically i was guessing at nikita koloff because i my the pictures i've seen of him in the past he hadn't didn't have any hair here he's got hair um and i've never seen him wrestle before and additionally i wasn't absolutely certain it was paul ellering who was on the babyface team because i was like well we've just seen him and i think that's him but at the same time it feels a bit weird because he's the manager of the road warriors which is strange and i also was like i think that's jd dylan but not absolutely certain. And it took a while for me to see Tully Blanchard's face. So I also had to guess at that too. There was just a hell of a lot of guessing going on. As I said, did get them all, but it wasn't the most comfortable. As I said, I've been very appreciative of some commentary during this one. So how do I go through this? We, I'm going to go through it entrant by entrant, because I think that's the easiest cool. way. So we start with Dusty Rhodes versus Arn Anderson. Dusty gets the better of Arn to start and hits a lovely DDT. Arn is then busted open uh, when he's rammed into the cage, but cheap shots Dusty Rhodes by attacking his leg. Dusty then too is busted open uh, when Arn uses a weapon, I think a fork, but I'm not absolutely certain what the weapon is. Some pliers. Some pliers, is it? Yeah. yeah. Good good bit of context there, because I, I had no clue what it was. And then Dusty has Arn in a figure four leg lock when we get entrant number three, which is Barry Windham from the heel team. Now, they interestingly do a coin toss to, to mm. determine who gets next into the ring. Two things about this. First of all, it's strange that they didn't just do the coin toss before the match. Why they didn't just do the coin toss? I don't get that part. Yeah. But secondly, this brought me back to the coin toss that we saw on last week's show, Bash of the yeah. Beach 95, where in this case, they did just entirely kayfabe it. They didn't try to legitimately toss the coin and get the result they were looking for. They just went, yeah, whatever, that's you, you win, off you go. So at least they got that bit right. So Ben, Barry Windham comes in. Any thoughts on this first opening salvo? Well, Arn Anderson flips off the crowd, give the old middle finger, which I very much enjoyed. This is the best Arn Anderson we've, we've seen. Definitely. For a start, for the entrances, I think it's Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and possibly Barry Windham are wearing some phenomenal four horsemen jackets. Absolutely first class. White varsity jackets. Lovely old job. Um, Arn Anderson's selling is tremendous for Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes looks like a baby. Looks like a giant baby because he's got very short blonde hair, bleached blonde hair. And he, I mean, he bleeds three minutes in. No wonder his fucking forehead looks like it does. I quite like this. And this, when Barry Windham comes in, they get the pace of the early, I think it fades a bit towards the end. But these early entrants, they really get them hot and they get them going. So Windham's hot, then the next person who comes in, they get them hot. So it feels like there's energy, it feels like there's momentum in the match. We've mentioned War Games matches in the past on this podcast and i think that i don't think they're very good to be honest because i don't think it really works the concept but the early stages of this i was like you know what i'm gonna get some enjoyment out of this matt this was my uh, my, my first war games match to take out the sort of modern newer ones of wwe today but you know in terms of the originals that this was my first one and um it was good um i mean the one thing that particularly stuck out to me and, and i might be stating the obvious here 
Dusty Rhodes is incredibly charismatic. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. literally, I one of the first things I wrote down, Dusty is well charismatic. It just, you know, stuck out to me big time. And I, I was quite surprised to see both Dusty and Arn bleed so flipping early. I mean, it was, what was it, just a couple of minutes in? Yeah. You know, yeah. three, three, four minutes. I was like, whoa, hang on, hang on. And it was quite a bit as well. And I thought that was a bit overkill. But yeah, you know, it, it certainly was a, was a good start, though. Mm. Then we had, uh, as I said, no, entrant number three is Barry Windham, who when he comes in, he and Dusty have a little bit of back and forth until the numbers game comes into play and the heels overtake uh, take over on Rhodes. And this is the part of the match, or this is the the opening parts of this match really, to me, kind of showed the... I've seen a few War Games matches, and I, in the past, have not really enjoyed them. But the way this one worked, where effectively it really was clear and obvious that every time an entrant came in, it changed who was in control of the match, mm-hmm. made perfect sense. It's really simple. It's not like they're doing anything massively crazy. But I've seen other War Games matches where it just all felt quite just chuck them in and doesn't really... We're not even trying to portray a story here. Whereas in this case, they really did... It really felt that way. And that kind of shone through when back. Barry Windham came in and again then the next baby face which is entry number four is Steve Williams the biggest pair of pants I've ever seen <laughs> my I mean he's a big old unit obviously former NFL guy but my god his pants they are somehow given how big they are they're still putting a shift in as well and this is where um to my point about Arn Anderson selling Barry Windham selling is fantastic this is the first time I've watched any horsemen stuff and thought i can see why they were such a big deal because they make roads and dot to death look fantastic in these early stages very good this is also the phase where there's a lot of low blows they come in i mean it's go careful with your bollocks in this match jesus <laughs> there's low blows everywhere strapped to the table with, with you are tape. yeah yeah well if someone would have come over with a sledgehammer yeah i like the, the one thing that sort of surprised me is that um I didn't know. Was, uh, was the figure four Dusty Rhodes' fair finish? I don't think so, but everybody seems to apply the figure four during this match. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I thought. I was like, whoa, hang on now. Because when, when I saw him first hit, I was like, huh? I was like, I could have sworn that was that was Flair's thing. Maybe not. But like I said, I was taken aback by that. But it, it started to get a little bit blurry for me at that point. And, but it, it was quite basic. But you know what? That's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes it's it's good to just go back to the basics and just, you know, two teams, just one on one, just trying to isolate the others. It was good. I, I do think it was a good match. Yeah, I like the um, I like this bit when Steve Williams comes in because there's a massive pop for him when he does a double clothesline on Wyndham and Anderson at one point, and then they sell a series of football tackles to your point, old man, yes. where they just are making him look amazing, uh, and they really sell it. Wyndham is a big guy and he is properly selling. Like he's throwing yeah. himself. It's like Dolph Ziggler out there throwing himself yes. over the place. Um, they really do make a big deal of it. So the babyface are then in control, at which point entrant number five comes in, who is Rick Flair. And after he comes in, first of all, Williams no-sells some of Flair's offense, uh, offense until uh, Flair hits him with a low blow, to your point. Um, those yeah, low balls, those low blows are in place. And <laughs> the heels, <laughs> those low balls are in place. And <laughs> yes, uh, the heels are then back in control. Um, in my mind, Flair's coming in last. When he came in, I was so caught off guard. And also, I think the crowd are caught off guard because he doesn't really get any reaction at all. It's very odd. And this is this is where I kind of start losing what's going on. I must say, this is where it 
this is where war games became war games for me and it's hard to keep track of what's going on there's not any real focus on anything that's happening for a sustained period which i mean we'll kind of get to this in the overall view of the match but it's carnage kind of what it should be really but when you're trying to watch it it's very tough to know what's going on yeah do you know what? I, I literally put in capital letters chaos what's going on who's where it was just a bunch of guys you know a couple of hammer fists here and there a couple of punches i was just like okay it's, it's starting there you know I, at that point i sort of zoned out a little bit i was like okay let, let's just wait to see who comes in next who's going to be last because you know that's probably going to be the biggest pop um so yeah it started to slow down a little bit there for me yeah yeah, I agree. I was surprised by Flair being entry number five here. It did it? Did, you did feel like it was set up for him to be the last one in. And I can usually tell when the story starts to get lost a little bit by the way my notes go. And my notes just start to become random things that happened. <laughs> I Not only can I not keep up with it, I don't really know what it is I'm supposed to be focused on at this moment yeah. in time. Thankfully, number six, Lex Luger gets a very big pop, possibly the biggest pop we've seen Luger get. And we've seen a fair few of his matches now. Mm. Um, he comes in, takes down flair and windham with some power slams and gets flair in the torture rack but windham chop blocks him and flair and windham then double team luger <laughs> legs was great he looks good it does definitely look good in this yeah he does they this is probably his limit i think given those little moments in a multi-person match i think it's the kind of thing where you can kind of bury his deficiencies in terms of character and how to actually put a match together as we've like talked about on this pod before and also the crowd is starting to have a tough time knowing what's going on as well i think i think they're kind of living through what we're living through at the moment and do we then get tully blanchard come in yes number seven is tully blanchard yes because he gets in the ring and he steps up the ropes and jumps off the top rope but without using the turnbuckle and it's just a very little thing when I've never seen it before and it also it added some heel urgency because as we were saying like Flair does a lot of crying off and I know that's kind of one of his things but there's a lot of crying off and it kind of feels like it feels like the heels have really lost any urgency and then when Tully Blanchard comes in he kind of amps it up a little bit and I know you're kind of trying to give a story arc so that's going to happen the faces are going to be on top heels are going to be on top but it felt like it really needed it at this point and then there's a couple more low blows I think so hopefully it'll <laughs> such an apt description of the match there was a couple of things a few low blows a couple of things a few low blows yeah. <laughs> so yes Tully Blanchard comes in he brings in a chair and destroys Lex Luger with it which was pretty cool these were some properly hit chair shots these were as well they weren't to the head either they were to the body so it's kind of except all chair shots too and it puts the heels back in the control of the match until number eight Nikita Koloff enters the fray he does and I don't I think this to your point of view this was where I completely went because the next note I have is about JJ Dillon's skin colour. <laughs> well, maybe maybe Matt can uh, provide some insight <laughs> to this bit of the match then. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, at this point, this is where I was starting to get lost. Like, I, I knew the majority of the people in the match, but I, I didn't recognise completely who was who. So this is where, again, 
commentary would have been massively useful for me because I was like, okay, which one's this guy now? Who's this? And I, I guessed right for the most part, but yeah, it, it started to get confusing for me by this stage. What's yeah. um, what's encouraging about this though is that I'm watching this and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, but I am not bored in the slightest. I don't think I'm given the chance to become bored. I think that's the important thing about this match, and that's obviously what you what you want. There's enough going on, but. I've just got no idea what's going on. Well, you know you know why you're not bored, old man? That is because Tony Schiavone is insistent on telling you how much time there is between next entrance every oh. time. And he does it like four or five times on what? Three on minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. Three Did minutes. Did he make at one point and like he slightly corrected himself or he said something like, Yes. Ten, ten minutes. No, wait. Sorry. I meant 12 or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. is all over this match. He, he's he's uh, he's basically commentating on it. <laughs> <laughs> Koloff comes in. He drops Wyndham and Flair with some clotheslines, then puts Flair in another figure four, as I say, more figure fours in this one. Um, however, the heels get control of the match again ahead of J.J. Dillon entering at number nine. Old man, what did you have on his skin colour? <laughs> he is so pasty. He's not been on the tanning bed. Let's say that. And everyone else in this match seems to have been. He is so white. And I, it took me a while. I was like, who's this old man who's got into the ring? And I was like, oh, it's JT Dillon. This is pretty cool. But it signposted the finish for me when I, because I didn't know he was going to be in the match. I kind of, like I said, I was lost. I was all over the shop. I was crying in a corner. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, yeah, it kind of signposted the finish for me. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Because I've got a good point on that. See, though, I, I kind of felt the same <laughs> in terms of his skin tone. I mean, mm. I literally wrote down, question mark, Seamus's granddad? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, he's really pale. He was yeah. so noticeable. Yeah, as Tom always says when he sees Seamus, it makes him look like he's really cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just it looks like he's, he's never seen sun before. <laughs> yeah. So the final entrant is Paul Ellering. I've written in brackets, I think, and that was confirmed later on. It is Paul yeah. Ellering. And after that, Dylan uh, JJ Dylan misses a drop kick on Ellering. Then Dusty locks it on the figure four again. And uh, in this case, JJ Dylan submits to end the match. So I guess, old man, give you some thoughts on the match overall. Absolute carnage, especially after Flair comes in. It's very hard to follow. As I said, it's never dull. You're not given the chance to become bored. And JJ Dillon predictably takes, it was either going to be a pin or a submission. He, he was always going to take that as soon as he came in. What I absolutely loved, and they cut it pretty quickly, but how the horsemen are in the ring and they're so concerned for JJ Dillon. They're really, like, really looking after him. Tully Blanchard in particular has got his arm round him. Someone else is stretching out. I don't know why they're stretching out his leg. He's just had a figure four upon. That's the last thing you want. He, he needs an ice pack on that. But they're stretching out his leg and he's selling it. Like I said, this is the best horseman I've seen. And that little end bit just made me think, yeah, you know what? They're a proper group. And this is pretty much why they were able to just run around the territory, just tearing it up. They're clearly all together. Like there's no, no one's going off on their own. They're all just around each other, looking after each other. I just thought, you know what? A nice way to end the show. And then as quickly as that's done, face to black, show's done. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no messing about here. No bit no. of the end Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan chatting about nothing. Do you know what, guys? For, for me, there was um, there was a particular bit to, towards the end of the finish. I, I can't remember who it was, but like Dusty Rose was just sort of wandering in the middle of the ring. Everybody seemed to be doing something bar Dusty. 
and he was like looking around wondering just sort of walking through and then i can't remember who he was but somebody someone thought oh dusty's not doing anything i better hit him quick and then quickly give him like a kick or something and it just made me laugh because you're just like oh damn i forgot i better get him yeah. quickly so that, that that did make me chuckle um and then again you know dusty with the figure four finish i i, I keep getting amazed i keep thinking no why are people using Ric Flair's finish? Stop it. The figure four belongs to Flair. But yeah, other than that, like the, the match itself, it, it was good. Like I said, it was it was quite basic. But, you know, even for that point in, you know, like I said, 1988, to, to see guys bleeding, particularly considering we don't see it that much today now, I do think the use of, of blood in wrestling sometimes can work. And I do felt that it helped you. Yeah. Like I said, it was the, the two teams going against each other. It was quite basic in terms of, you know, trying to isolate each guy, but it was good. You know, it just goes to show that you don't need massive amount of weapon shots and tons of flips and dives and everything to, to get a match over. I thought it was really decent, this. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's another one that will go on my list of matches to recommend because I thought, way like, the crowd were well into it all the way through. The pops Luger gets, the pop that Nikita Koloff gets, the pop that, that Steve Williams is getting when he's taking out both Wyndham and Arn Anderson is, is magnificent. Dusty is really cool at the beginning. The thing that you're talking about where it kind of breaks down, it kind of reminds me of how a Royal Rumble usually is quite good until there are too many people in the ring yeah. and then it gets boring for a period that's kind of what happened here is things started to get it was difficult to follow it was difficult to know what you're supposed to be focused on i've seen it where they do it really well in rumbles in the past where they kind of have like four or five people or maybe six or seven people fighting around the outside of the ring and then they they spotlight two people in the ring so that your your eyes are fixed on the thing you're supposed to be watching they didn't do that well here you didn't get the impression that there was any a lot of the time, there was lots of bits where you're like, who is it that I'm supposed to be looking for here? Which, in fairness, makes it feel more organic and more real in the sense that that wouldn't happen in a real life situation. But when, you know, when you're viewing it through the idea of something that is planned or at least um, predetermined, you can you feel like they can do better to spotlight exactly what bits you should be watching. But in general, I just thought it was really good, really great um, crowd heat, really quite intense match in general. And uh, I was a bit taken by surprise by the... Uh, addition of J.J. Dillon and Paul Ellering at the end. I thought they were just going to be there at ringside. And also, yeah. because of the way Tony Schiavone was talking about this being the final period, before J.J. Dillon came in, I was like, okay, so was that coin toss to give <laughs> the horseman a numbers advantage as well? Mm. I.e., is Paul Ellering not coming in the ring now that J.J. Dillon's coming? That was all a bit weird. But other than that, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a really decent sort of end to a overall uh, an enjoyable show in, in general. And on that point, it is time for us to look uh, and talk about our overall thoughts on the show, our MVP and our match of the night and a rating out of 10 for the show. Uh, I'll go first because I kind of already started talking about that. As I say, overall, for me, there was nothing that was bad. There was a couple. Of, well, there was one match that was a bit bad. And that was a scaffolding match. But as soon as it lasted five minutes, I didn't I didn't mind that too much. Everything else was either really short and therefore I had no chance of being bad or was just average or just over average, as, as we found with, for me, the War Games match and my match of the night, which is the uh, Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express against the Fantastics. And for that reason, too, I'm giving Jim Cornette my MVP of the night because I just thought his performance in that match was, was very, very good, very entertaining. Overall, I'm giving this a 6 out of 10 as a show. Um, as I said, I thought it was perfectly decent. And if someone turned around in a year or so and said, watch this again, I'd be like, yeah, well, fine, not, not too bad. <laughs> Certainly there have been a lot of shows recently where I'd be like, no way am I watching that again. Mm. This is not one of those. So there we go. Uh, old man. 
for the first 25 minutes, half hour, this was very difficult because of the lack of commentary. And I genuinely thought, and I was speaking to Tom yesterday about this when I was having a little break, I wasn't sure how I was going to get through it because (laughs) I was finding it very difficult to just get on with. And then I got over that and then it keeps going. I had to take a couple of breaks because I think just watch it. I think that's more, that's not necessarily the um, the lack of commentary. That's the match, 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 match. Just a bit much. Just all a bit, all a bit much. It's obviously not going to happen because this was effectively, as Tinky said, this is a house show. It's not going to happen, but could have done with a little segment, a little chat with someone. But I understand why it's not there. So I got around that. Then when I got into it, it's decent. I agree with Tinky. I'm going to give it a six out of 10. And I'm also going to give the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette and the Fantastics as Mash of the Night. I was thinking about this because I wasn't sure whether I was over-egging the pudding until I finished the show. And we know I love to over-egg a pudding. <laughs> but um, the, I think that would have made Mash of the Night on a fair few of the things that we've watched recently. Yeah, I think outside of their match in 1990. Mm. which is fantastic i think i would watch this again if someone said you need to watch it again and i probably wouldn't have a cry <laughs> but i would definitely know it, and i think i'd enjoy it more second time around my mvp of the night is tony Schiavone's stopwatch <laughs> because it has put in an absolute shift all night and i have massive respect for it I, I'm going to be bold and suggest that Tony Schiavone didn't even have a stopwatch and it was somebody telling him what time the match was at. Oh, fucking dare you. He, he, was the, he was there like a coach with a whistle and a little stopwatch around his neck. Or like Flavor Flav in, uh, in, in, in Public Enemy. So he's just basically wearing a massive clock around his neck the entire yeah. time. I'm going to try and make things a little bit different if I can possibly help it. So in terms of, well, with the exception of the number that I'm going to give the the show overall, I too am going to go with with about a 6 out of 10. That, that probably sounds about right. But in terms of the match of the night, for me, it was Dick Murdoch and Gary Royal. Just love Dick Murdoch and that. Just for me, just it was great. That that, that was really old school. Um, and it was good. Like I said, thoroughly enjoyed that one. And in terms of my sort of man of the night, hmm, I think I'm kind of going to go with Jimmy Garvin, only because he didn't have to do hardly anything, and he still got the most insane crowd pop. Mm. I think, in fact, for me, he got the best crowd pop of anybody in the entire night. And anybody who barely has to do anything, yet is still adored to that extent, is doing something right. So so Jimmy yeah. Garvin, 100%, you know, he, he deserves that. He was great. I think that's fitting because I think Tom's MVP would have been Jimmy Garvin's hair. So I yes. think <laughs> we're uh, we're in good we're we're in good company there. That's good stuff. Um, uh, very impressive. Good. So that gives us a, quite an average um, setting for that. That's pretty much bang in the middle of all the shows mm. we've done in terms of quality. So um, yeah, not not a bad one at all this week. Now. Obviously, we've got one more piece of business before we go. But before we get there, where Matt will be representing Tom for the purposes of our overall table. So no, no pressure, Matt. Um, <laughs> just just a little reminder, if you haven't done so already, to give us a little review and or a rating wherever it is you get your podcasts. And a big shout out to Rockstar Kirky, who has already left us a cracking review where he says, and I quote, best wrestling podcast by far. Ah, beautiful. Can't, can't argue with that, can you? So. Old man, you are the host of this week's game, and uh, yeah, get us going. Right, here we go. Now, obviously, we have Matt representing Tom. So, 
I didn't know areas of knowledge. There were a couple of things that I thought about, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to delve into areas that Matt may not have any knowledge of. So what we are looking at is we are looking at WrestleMania 36. Oh, God. The Performance Center WrestleMania. Oh, God. Which was, <laughs> yeah, which was over two nights. And we are looking for wrestlers who were on the card or the pre-show. So not matches. Don't have to name the matches. Just a single wrestler will do. And we will go with Matt first, as he's our guest. Um, Shayna Baszler. Correct. Uh, I'm going to go then with Asuka. Correct. Mm. <laughs> Rhea, Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley. Yeah. Correct. I thought he was going to be done after one answer. I was like, oof. <laughs> That, I can I can handle that pressure. I can certainly handle that pressure. Um, let's go with Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre. Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. Correct. Those two fall in the main event of night two. Uh, Goldberg. Goldberg. Correct. Uh, Braun Strowman. Correct. Those two fall on the first night for the Universal Championship. Braun Strowman no longer with the company. Won in two minutes and ten seconds. <laughs> and and as a consequence of that crushing loss, Goldberg looks set to headline SummerSlam. Apparently, yes. <laughs> I, I who who knows what logic that's about? Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair, correct. For the previously said Rhea Ripley. The Miz. Mike. The Miz. Mizanine. Uh, right, bear me a sec. Apologies. Mm. I do not think he was on that show. He was not. I'm oh. afraid. Oh damn! Yeah, unfortunately, Matt, you fucked it. <laughs> yeah, you fucked it's it. pressure. It's pressure. So we've got a couple Come of minutes. So I think um, the opening match of the first night was Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss against Kyrie Sane and Asuka. But I've already said Asuka. Correct. And then I'm like, well, there was something going on with Otis at the time, oh. so I think he might have been in yeah. the match. That was that. Rose angle, damn it, I love that too. Best angle WWE have presented in about the last year, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And they and they fucked that too. So you oh, know. yeah, yeah. And then I'm just guessing. So I was going to be like Lashley. I'm assuming he was on the show. He was. Who did he fight? Hang on a sec. Yeah. Who the hell did he wrestle? He fought Alistair Black, who beat him. How incredibly forgettable that was. Mm. <laughs> yes. And at well, that point, as I say, I'm just guessing. So maybe you should just tell us what the list is. So we had Cesaro defeated Drew Gulak in the pre-show of the first night. Then Elias defeated King Corbin. Uh, yeah, Becky remember. Lynch beat Shayna Baszler. Sami Zayn beat Daniel Bryan. John Morrison beat Jimmy Uzo and Kofi Kingston. It was Jay Uzo, I think, got injured. So that went from a triple threat ladder tag, tag match to singles yeah uh, Kevin Owens beat Seth Rollins Strowman beat Goldberg Undertaker defeated AJ Styles Liv Morgan defeated Natalia Charlotte Flair Ripley Alistair Black Bobby Lashley Otis defeated Tommy's favourite Dolph Ziggler oh. Edge defeated Orton Street Profits so Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford beat Angel Garza and Austin Theory Bailey beat Sasha Banks Lacey Evans Naomi and Tamina the Fiend, Bray Wyatt, defeated John Cena. Andrew McInfart beat Brock Lesnar. And also in another match after. Oh, yeah. 
was Drew McIntyre against the Big Show for some reason. Yeah, which wasn't shown at WrestleMania, but it was shown like I don't know Raw or something. And I yeah, it, it was shown on Raw the next night. Weird. So that that was a pretty horrible one because when I kind of decided on that, I went to the card and I was like, I do not remember any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, I, know, I know this was at the Performance Center, right? And, and no disrespect to these guys at all, but Austin Theory and Angel Garza as a team was yeah. on a WrestleMania card. Yeah. Good God. I can't even write. And I watched this and I can't remember it. Well, no. I remember that we watched it, old oh man, with Tom remotely yes. on Skype. We were all on Skype together. We watched the first night together. Oh, no, we watched the second night together, didn't we? Second the first night, night we together, watched separately. Yeah. I remember the first night and thinking that, because it was without crowd, they didn't even have the before, the old, what they call it now, Thunderdome yeah. thing. So it was literally silent, in silence. And so it was really odd. And the, the first match I can remember, that tag team match I mentioned, and after that, I was like, I can't remember any of it. When you said the ladder match, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then I remember Randy Orton versus fucking Edge, which was, oh, oh fucking yeah. hell. And so- you know what? I'm starting to think. That this is perhaps Randy Orton versus Edge is perhaps I know you quite liked the match they had at um, yeah whatever Thank show you. it was what the greatest wrestling match of all time no no we 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 we, re- <laughs> we reviewed a match between Randy Orton it, and Edge it on was this show. Vengeance 2004 that's right that, yeah that, that, that was good I remember that that was good so me yeah. and Tom did not like that match me and Tom found it really, really deathly dull but. I'm beginning to think that they have this overinflated reputation for good matches against each other. And that's why they felt like they could get away with calling it the greatest wrestling match ever that they had whenever yeah. that was last year. Because for me, oh, fucking hell, they're dull as fuck. They're these two against each other. I can't stand them wrestling. I hate it. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, we got we got cut promo every now and again on this show. That's how it goes. <laughs> so that brings us to an end. We've covered everything we were going to cover today. Uh, old man, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. And obviously, this is a very memorable episode for everybody, as we've got Matt subbing for Tom. And as well as remembering this, you need to make sure you remember Kempatera. <laughs> in- indeed. Indeed, we do. <laughs> and uh, Matt, thank you for your contributions today in place of the missing Tom. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Much appreciated. Uh, we will be back again next week where we begin SummerSlam season. We've got a trio of SummerSlam shows to come. But until we get there, take care.